0: Whoever is listening, guys, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann, and this is the Man with the Plan podcast, your Wednesday morning podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in to our Monday morning podcast. We broke down the NBA playoffs, a wild finish last night in Los Angeles with LeBron and Curry battling it out again. And today we have Larry Williams returning, the most watched episode on the YouTube platform, Uh, Hmm. getting close to 3,000 views, which is crazy. Um, I remember the app blow up of when your uh, interview aired on YouTube, it just started, it kept going up. Dang. So I want to thank you for coming back, uh, the first recurring guest of the summer, end of 2023, if I'm not mistaken. So, Larry, welcome to the show, man.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, You talking NBA, that got me wanting to talk some playoffs, man. I I watch zero NBA in general Mm -hmm. and zero... Regular season this past season, but for some reason I decided, you know what? I want to be entertained. So I'm just going to dive in. And I dove in at the beginning of the playoffs, and wow, it's amazing. Like, I'm just floored at how many amazing things I see on a regular basis in each game. It's just, uh, these dudes are different. And yeah. They that, sort and last of... night's. Go ahead. Sorry. Last night's game was, um, Really feel like the Lakers stole one because uh, Steph, usually when he's playing like that, the Warriors are hard to beat. But it kind of feels like his supporting cast is just not there.
0: Yeah. And uh, the conversation is more about Jordan Poole. Uh, I think he went 0 for yeah. 10 last night or something egregious, especially for what they're paying him. So the defending champs are on the ropes to the team that was picked to finish 13th in the West this year. So. Right. Uh, I'd love to see honestly before we get into the Clemson conversation. Do you have a finals pick for the uh for the audience? Maybe. Get I don't your, like. Uh, your I just take out there.
1: I just have. I don't really enjoy the picking game. Like I don't really pay attention to anybody's picks, and I don't. And then I generally, I don't know. I just watch for the enjoyment of it. Um. I have started to like the Lakers for some reason. I found myself. The last couple of games I've found myself pulling for them. I don't know why. Um, I guess because LeBron and Anthony Davis are just such monsters. Um, and it's just kind of fascinating to watch how those two, when they decide they're ready to take over, man, it's a – they are so hard to stop, even when they're not playing that well as they weren't last night. It's just they they're still going to – it's going to be hard to close out defensive possessions. Um, I'm sorry. It's going to be hard to get offensive rebounds mm-hmm. against those guys, you know, because they're so good at closing out defensive possessions. And then, uh, I don't know. I like Austin Reeves. Um, I don't know. They're just kind of – they're just really compelling to me. Although, I love the, the Steph Curry and the Warriors too. But, but good gosh, then then, then you got the dang Suns and, and the Nuggets – that game the other night that reminded me of duke kentucky 92 the <laughs> epic college basketball game with just going back and forth and haymakers left and right and the joker just uh wow that's my favorite player uh mm-hmm. right now just he's he's an artist more than he is a, a player so i don't know who i'd pick i don't know i nobody cares what if i made a pick <laughs> it wouldn't mean anything because I don't know really know what I'm talking about. I'm a novice. I so what's your, what's your pick? So I at the beginning of the
0: playoffs. So this partially, I, I thought okay, this was before Miami is doing what they're doing right now. I thought that the Bucks and the Celtics were the two best teams in the league. I thought throughout the regular season they proved time and time again to be the most consistent. They had the better players. They had Giannis, Jason Tatum in Boston, Jalen Brown. I thought when they two I thought they were a foregone conclusion to meet in the Eastern Conference Finals and then the winner of that series no matter what happened in the West just because there's this Lakers team that's creeping around Denver never we we can't trust them in the postseason the Suns I felt didn't have enough time to gel with Durant how is that going to look and I don't like Phoenix's depth beyond Booker and Durant even though those two are superstars in their own right so I thought, okay, whoever wins the Boston-Milwaukee series in the, at the end of the Eastern Conference Finals, that, that will be the NBA champion. And I've been completely wrong because you have Jimmy Butler come in as an 8-seed, take out Milwaukee, and then you have Boston being taken to the depths of the series against a Philadelphia team that's so up and down. They are a mirror of each other because last year Boston did this throughout the entire NBA postseason. So, I don't know. I still think that Boston has a chance to get to the NBA Finals, but I think Philadelphia, if they're consistent and they figure it out, they have the right combo of Embiid and Harden as bad as Harden was in game three. They have a shot here to win game five tonight. And we'll see. I, this podcast is over tomorrow morning. We'll see if I'm right. But I hope, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen me come around with a, the Celtics hat, but uh, I'm hoping, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Right. And in the West, I, I like Los Angeles like you do. I think their length, it's like the bubble year you just can't really get past them and then when they're playing on their best game offensively it's tough to it's tough to stop and we're seeing that with Golden State right now so it's it's
1: like you said it's fascinating seems like the Celtics is as good as Tatum and Brown are it just seems like they're missing something I don't know if it's that typical point guard presence who can really I don't know, be the, the facilitator. There's just something there. I don't know if it's the demons the, you know they still <laughs> they can't get past this mental hurdle.
0: Yeah. Um
1: but they should have they should have closed out that game uh on Sunday uh at, at Philadelphia. So anyway, I'm looking forward to the rest. I'm I'm captivated. Um, you know, after a big reason I'm diving into this is the similar a similar reason to why I dive into the NFL playoffs last couple of years it's because I have time like during college football season Mm -hmm. on Sundays um, I'm working, you know, I'm busy catching up on the previous Saturday's game and, and, and writing a lot of stuff and then trying to catch up on other games, other college football games that I missed while at or while covering the Clemson game. And so it's, it's a lot of fun to during the off season to sort of just, to just sort of gobble up, the playoffs whether it be the NFL or NBA and to sort of learn to sort of you know it's it's all new because I haven't been watching much in the regular season so it's really cool
0: yeah and it's not as chalk as it usually is with the NBA you really can per- it's not like March Madness where there's going to be a guaranteed lower seed that's going to make their Cinderella run like they do every year we've got a six seed and a seven seed playing in the second round we got an eight seed that is a game away from playing in the conference finals so there's a lot of different ingredients this year that make it captivating for people like you who don't necessarily watch the NBA all the time that can get sucked in for two months essentially. Yeah. And get a really appetizing product, which um I've always been a fan of them. And I, this may be for like, maybe the MLB NHL, they shorten the season. They might get a more appetizing product, but I know that there's, there's bills to be paid revenue for all these 82 games, but some of those games are just tough to watch because they're not fully really playing as hard as they do. And if you watched a regular season game in the middle of January and you watched last night's game, it is a completely, it is night and day. And um, I yeah. think that's why a lot of people just wait till April to tune in.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, watching Jimmy Butler or Anthony Davis fully engaged <laughs> you know, at the, and playing at the highest level. And it's like there are no frills, no – it's just all about competing. And that's mm-hmm. what I love. Um, it's really what I've loved about the college football playoff, uh, you know, or just some or some of the best teams in college football watching them. You know, it's just all business, you know. They're just uh, – it's just about really uh, talented – a bunch of really talented athletes competing. Um yeah. Really doesn't get a whole lot better than
0: that. Yeah, we got. You mentioned the playoffs from last year, man. That we we had two great semifinals, and then we had yep. the uh, obvious the stinker in the national championship. But those semifinals were great. I mean, we've had. It's always kind of been that pattern. At least when Clemson's been in the playoff, it's been those semifinals are dull. I think mean, they're over by halftime. Yep. So you've had your occasional. You had your Fiesta Bowl with Clemson against Ohio State. You had your Rose Bowl with Georgia and Oklahoma. But last year was the first time I felt we got two really great products in the semifinals, which never happens. So that was really fascinating to see. but but anyways, um, today we're here to um, we got so we got NBA expert Larry Williams along with the Clemson <laughs> Clemson beat. So we're just gonna backtrack a little bit and we're gonna talk about just the spring. And I think for a lot of people, this was one of the more exciting periods of, hey, this is something that a lot of people really need to dive into because of the new hire with Garrett Riley. There's a new quarterback, Cade Klubnik. he finally starting. There's a lot of interesting talent coming in. Peter Woods has captivated a lot of people, but he's not the only one. So there's been a lot of reasons for people to be invested in what's happening with the team this spring. So in your eyes, what did you see from this Clemson team
1: in the spring? Um, Probably rejuvenation with the offense in general um and you could tell right off the bat i guess just after one or two practices Kay clubnick um shared a really uh interesting and fascinating piece of insight when he said something to the effect of yeah last year we would carry you know 80 or so plays into a game and I think that might be a little much you know I don't know if anybody carries that many plays into a game he said but he said today we just ran the the same 15 plays and so simplifying and sort of freeing the guys up to to make plays and you know to where they're not so bogged down mentally I think is uh you know it was kind of refreshing and I, I you know I think this this offense still has some questions, of course. You know, receiver, I think they have, you know, they've taken a major dip the last two years. Um, offensive line, you know, I don't know. Um, there there are even some questions about Kay Klubnick, but big picture, you know, just a year ago, we were talking, you know, new sort of identity because you had a new coordinator in Brandon Streeter but that wasn't the full refresh that was needed. Um, uh, that was more of a continuation of what they had been doing before. And so I think that this brings the refresh that I think everybody agrees was probably needed. And it feels more like Chad Morris's arrival in 2011 because he brings a, a new, a different voice. He brings a, a new identity, maybe even like a new brand, you know, um, I'll say, though, and Garrett Riley would probably point out, he doesn't have Sammy Watkins coming in. (laughs) So uh, that was one thing that really helped Chad Morris because Sammy Watkins was, of course, basically Superman from the moment he stepped foot on the campus.
0: Yeah, he was special. I I, I remember as a kid, uh, we had two jerseys in my house that my brother and I would wear before we watched Clemson games was – we had a 10 and we had a two it was Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins and we'd in the backyard do the whole thing but yeah I think receiver's been a big question like you point out but um there's also injuries too I, I remember that first press conference that you and I t- took part in with Dabo was I think my d- first document of notes was just a page and a half of injuries and I feel like he if the player is not 100 percent, he usually holds back on the spring just because it's not worth it in his eyes but um That also, I think, is a blessing and a curse in a way because you have players that get to step up in this time period, and you get to see the potential ones that you didn't get to see last year, or somebody that gets to step up, and they've been really working hard in January, February, and then comes March, they step up, and the coaches get to notice. Has there been a player that caught your eye, or maybe somebody told you, like, "Hey, you need to watch for this guy. When come spring or come summertime in the fall, he could get some serious playing time." Was there somebody? that maybe caught your eye or maybe caught somebody's eye that you picked up on?
1: On the offensive side of the ball? Could be either. Yeah. Well, I mean, Peter Woods, I I think that's, that's not a secret anymore. (laughs) Uh, The other, the other two are also on the defensive side, Khalil Barnes and uh, Shelton Lewis uh, just looking really um, advanced for, first year guys um i you know and i i don't know this for a fact but you know i, I would assume that might have played a role in uh, malcolm green's decision to transfer you know um you know he ordinarily a guy who's been around that long would be thinking he you know he'd be starting by now and and now not only was he Destined to be second string, but also probably contending with Shelton Lewis a bit, you know, uh, a true freshman. and So, um, you know, I, on the other side, Noble Johnson just didn't see enough of him. You know, um, he certainly got more opportunity as a result of of uh, all those receivers being on the shelf. And, and, and that was uh, a good thing. But um, you know, I I, I tend to think the all those injuries, you know, there's there are pluses and minuses to it, of course. But so many of those guys on the shelf, they need the reps, you know, especially with a new offense. You know, Adam Randall, um Bo Collins, uh, even even the offensive linemen. Um, Marcus Tate and Walker Parks. I mean, it's not like those two are finished products, you know. So um, it's going to be an interesting camp for sure on that side of the ball. Um, Well, on both sides of the ball. But I'm just – you know, I think this defense is going to be really salty. Um, I think they really have a a chip on their shoulder from last year. Just so many – you know, they didn't play as well as they – that they – they thought they were going to, <clears throat> and they had a lot of extenuating circumstances, you know, injuries, the Brzee situation with not just the tragedy of losing his sister, but also at the aftermath of that with um, with with the medical complications that he was, the really serious stuff he was mm-hmm. going through that really lasted the whole season, honestly. Um, so it just feels like they're in a position to... Uh, if they can get some answers at at defensive end, um, to to really get back to that high high level that, that that Clemson defense is is known for around here.
0: Yeah, and I spoke to Barrett and and Mikuba after the uh, the game, uh, after the spring game, and they didn't say it outright, but it felt like to me is, hey, this whole offseason, it felt like they came in with a chip on their shoulder this spring game, not because of any resentment towards the offense, but the entire offseason, the talk spin Garrett Riley, Garrett Riley, Garrett Riley, how's this offense going to look? And it felt like the defense took a step back in terms of coverage, they were in the shadows, so it felt like they had something to prove, saying, hey, this side of the ball's improving too, we got something to say, and they came out and played really well. I thought the secondary, for me, was my biggest plus in that game, the way they played against those receivers, they made Klumnik really work and earn those throws. And we had Wiggins with the uh, – Makuba with the pick six off of a Wiggins deflection. I think Nate Wiggins is going to be special this year in the ACC in terms of his development from last year. I that I, I will say it again, that Wake Forest game could not been more of a plus for him, being able to just get smacked in the face like that. And it's almost like a wake-up call for him because for the rest of the season, his play just continued to, to rise up, and you can – agree or disagree with me on that notion but what do you for the defense how important is it for them to or like you've said there's going to be improvement do you think there's a chip on their shoulder coming to this game i know we didn't really talk about that before but it's just an idea that popped in my head and something that i've been thinking about for the last couple months
1: yeah i mean and, and you can pick up pick it up in the words and mannerisms of west goodwin you know he's you know goodwin is he was in a he's still in a tough spot, you know, because the the guy he is trying to replace, you know, it wasn't just that Venables was successful, you know, highly successful. It was also Venables was like a force of nature. You know, he was, he needed a get back coach on the sideline. You know, he said memorable things in interviews, you know, he was one of the most intense figures I've ever been around in a number of ways. And then you have this this guy, Goodwin, who's, you know, in addition to being kind of just a nice guy, um, just sort of socially, is also, you know, kind of a behind – he was a behind-the-scenes guy before. But that's also kind of what he's made to be, almost more like a Bill Belichick type who's not as comfortable – in front of the cameras uh, who just would prefer to be back in a cave somewhere um, (laughs) in the recesses of the football offices, diagnosing tendencies against 12 personnel or whatever. Um, And so last year was, it wasn't easy for, for Wes, you know, he's doing all these things for the first time, you know, running his own room, running the sideline, calling plays, for the first time, you know, I don't care how important and vital he was to the operation before. Doing all those new things and being a leader is going to be a challenge. And so. And he admits it, that he was learning on the job in some ways. Um, he told me late last year, he said, you know, he was learning how to be demanding without being demeaning, you know, and. Um, And then when we spoke with him during the spring, he must have said freaking about 10 times, you know, because he's trying to be a little edgier, you know, I think. Um, Or he's just trying to say that, hey, a lot of the things that happened last year aren't acceptable, you know. Getting beaten at the point of attack against Tennessee and, and Notre Dame and even South Carolina to an extent, not acceptable. Um. You know, that there are a lot of examples of that, I think, that, that we could cite. But the overall is that, you know, while the defense was good last year, there were a lot of things that a lot of characteristics to that uh, season defensively that we're not used to seeing. You know, it could be Tennessee's tailback uh, just plowing over Jeremiah Charter. That's one that comes to my mind. You know, it's like, whoa, what? you know, or it could be the first game of the season when at Georgia tech, when even though that was a relatively dominant victory, there were, there were instances in the secondary where they sort of didn't hold up at the point of attack and didn't tackle. And Andrew McCuba, um, you know, that was something that was a common theme last year, uh, as he in his defense dealt with some injuries, but still was not the physical presence that he needed to be. And so, um, yeah, chip on the shoulder. You could probably call it that. Um, I don't know if it's because of the offense getting more publicity necessarily as much as just they want to be better than than they were last year. Um, and I also think it comes from some confidence. And, hey, this Peter Woods kid is just different than most guys you're ever going to see. And so there's confidence that he's going to be that elite disruptor that Brzee was not able to be consistently just because of all the stuff he dealt with, with injuries and, and on down the line. Um, Miles Murphy never really was that presence, you know, um, I guess for varying reasons, maybe uh, he just didn't put it all together, even though not too shabby given that he was a first round draft pick. Um, But there's confidence now. I think that that defensive line, they're going to be able to, move people around and um and and be a force and then behind them you have two of the best inside backers in the country probably in barrett and jeremiah and so and then a a a secondary that that last year was trying to overcome the loss of some important players that now is a lot more experienced as you said uh in mentioning some of the some of the lumps that guys like. Wiggins and Toriano Pride took last year, uh trying to do it for the first time.
0: Yeah, I mean there was a lot of like it, we talked earlier, and, and this is completely unrelated with the NBA playoffs. A lot of ebbs and flows, a lot of ups and downs, and we'll see if that is a bug in the system or that's an actual feature this year with Clemson's defense. So it'll be exciting, especially with the schedule that they have. They're going to get an early test against Florida State in September. Something that I've, I don't think in my lifetime larry not my uh-huh. when i've been watching because I, I think i started watching football clemson football when i was nine and i never remember there being a florida state game three or four weeks into the season um oh i yeah, think that's okay, more I, I thought you were about to say no i thought you were yeah. about
1: to say <laughs> florida state <didn't> any good
0: <laughs> no no i can't say that on here <laughs> but um the setup for that is interesting but I think for this, these coming, these like May and June, and even after the spring game, a couple of weeks after you really get all you can out of that is there's a certain challenge I feel for just coverage, especially when football is king in this, in this, in this industry is covering a team that doesn't give you much information other than, yeah, you have recruitment stuff going on here and there, but for you, what is the. I don't want to call it a challenge, but what is the direction you take in the summer when there isn't as much content as a beat writer? Like, how creative do you have to get with the stories, the people that you talk to? Is there a certain schedule that you follow differently than the post of the fall where you just have to look out the window when you have content with football? season? <laughs> for this, how does that work when it, it's not dry? I don't want to try to use the right worded words yeah. here, but what's the challenge of covering Clemson football when Clemson football is not playing at this point.
1: Yeah. And can we, um, can we go back uh, at, at, at a certain point because the Florida state thing is kind of fascinating that early in the year. And then of course the competition, the, the schedule this year looks potentially regular season, quite a bit more rigorous than it, than it, than it has been some recent years, but um, we can jump that um, now if you want
0: to. Especially if it's fresh in your mind, you got some thoughts. Well, on it.
1: yeah, I, I was gonna say uh, what popped into my mind was, you know, the the three toughest games it looks like um, Florida State, Notre Dame, and South Carolina. Those quarterbacks at all three places, like that's that's pretty tough ex- examination for 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 this defense. You know, Jordan Travis just. Wow, I mean, just what a <laughs> what a bear to defend. Just because he can do anything, you know, with his legs and arm. And then wow, Sam Hartman coming back to to, to Death Valley. That's fascinating. And then of course Rattler in Columbia off the top of my head. Oh, and then Drake May. Yeah, coming UNC. Um, and, no and then Brendan Armstrong, um, who back in 2020 when Virginia came to Death Valley. A game that was a lot dicier than, than most everybody anticipated coming in, and a lot of it was because of Brennan Armstrong sort of running around freelancing, making plays. Um, he's reunited with the offensive of coordinator who was calling the plays that night for Virginia, Robert and I, who went to Syracuse for a year. I'm sorry, is it was it a year, two years? Yeah, yeah, two years. Um, before. Uh, taking the job at NC State, and so that's going to be interesting, seeing um, whether the reuniting of, of of those two sort of brings a better a, a return to Armstrong, sort of playing more freely and sort of that Sandlot type of improvisational football that made him a uh, uh, sort of hard to contain uh, back when he was at Virginia. So yeah, that's is that that's that's five. <laughs> Really great quarter. and, I, and I, good quarter, and and I and, and there could be somebody else that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. Um, Miami Van Dyke, um, I don't know, um, but that's that's at their place, you know. So, yeah, you know,
0: you got in the I'm looking at it right now, you've got from October to it's the stretch of three weeks, you have at NC State, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, and then UNC. You got three out of the four weeks, you've got a I don't want to say you got two quarterbacks in Sam Hartman and Drake May, who probably are, and I say Brandon Armstrong too because he's better than a lot of people give him credit for, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, three really great quarterbacks that could be playing on Sundays in a in a yeah. couple of years. So the Drake May's the one, is the one is the two to uh, Caleb Williams one in this upcoming draft, and they're doing these way too early mock drafts, and May's right up there in the top ten. Uh, so Clemson, yeah, you see, like you said, they've got tests. And that early Florida State matchup is fascinating, like you you said, because of – for me, it's because it's early. So I feel like they're trying to set up something there with the new ACC structure, probably insinuating, yeah. hey, these teams probably will see each other again. Let's yeah. ensure that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then um. there's one – is it after the Notre Dame game that Clemson goes to NC State? So it's
0: actually beforehand. So they travel to Miami on the twenty-first. NC State's
1: the twenty-eighth on the road. That's so NC State is seven days before Notre Dame comes to Clemson. That's yes. not not ideal positioning there, you know. <laughs> um, so, um, but and I think now this would be a good segue or transition back to the question about the off-season and the coming up with ideas. Um, you know, you're talking Florida state, you know, being regarded widely as being a step ahead of Clemson right now. Um, you know, just last week I wrote something on, on that precise topic on, um, you know, all these way too early prognostications while, you know, do they actually matter to a large degree? No. But perception is a thing, you know, and 150 people in a football building, they pay attention to what people are saying, particularly when people are saying negative things about them. And so, um, you know, to have Florida, not just Florida State, but Notre Dame as popular items that are ranked ahead of Clemson right now, that's interesting. Because that has almost never happened, you know, over the last, uh, you know, seven, eight years, um, Clemson, I mean, just a year ago, Florida State is coming off of five and seven, and nobody's even even hinting at the idea that, uh, that they could overtake them. Oh, and then, oh, by the way, what happened on the field in Tallahassee, you know, until Florida State came back late, I mean, Clemson just own them you know physically mm-hmm. uh was physically dominating them so anyway um a big part of of writing coming up with ideas during the off season, meaning after the spring game all the way up to late july when things actually start happening um i think the longer that i do this the easier it becomes because the more the better I, of a planner i am the better of a um, note sort of taking notes on possible things to write about and having like files of of ideas um and reading a lot about other teams for for whatever reason the if I sit down for 20 minutes and I'm reading about some other team elsewhere invariably something will be happening in my head oh man I haven't covered I could write about this for clumps you know about what's what's going on here it's just the power of reading, I think, is uh is is, is really helpful in that in that the more you read, the more it the more your wheels turn about uh, possible writing topics. But also as you um as you uh, are fully aware um and as you helped us produce the the lengthy series that, that we did on Nick Eason's life story, um that can carry a week's worth of content as it did after the recent spring game and so those are things you don't just uh wake up the day after the spring game and say oh i think i want to do a story on nicky you know i want to do a series of seven part whatever series on nick eason's live story that's something you sort of uh that sort of comes to mind months earlier like oh that'd be really cool to maybe see if i could do that and And then you go about trying to see if you can do that. And that means like running it by uh, the sports information director, Ross Taylor, and then actually talking to Nick Eason or whoever it is about it. And then actually sitting down with him, you know, which has to fit his schedule, which is very busy. Um, And then doing the interview, which lasts, uh, as you know, three plus hours. (laughs) Um, And then figuring out, okay, how are we going to present this? Mm-hmm. And then actually doing the legwork of of transcribing the interview, which you did. Um, and then presenting it once I once you did that, it's it's then sort of doctoring it, not doctoring it, but sort of sort of tailoring it to telling a story like a day by day progression. As you know, Coach Eason would bounce around to a lot of different places in what he yeah. Uh, was saying about his life. And so it's not like I can, it's not, it has to be readable, you know, and a, and it still has to be good storytelling, you know? And so I'm not saying that I'm, I made anything up or anything like that, but it's a lot of moving pieces around and putting similar themes together for this day and, 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 yeah. and, and like that. So um, that's a challenge in itself, you know, but it was, it's very uh, rewarding and and fun to be a part of fun to learn, more about these personalities beyond the football field and particularly personalities that have stories like that. Like, I, I mean, that guy's dealt with the trauma and, and difficult experiences of 20 different people, not just one person. Um, so, and, and then, you know, some, some years, you know, as, as I'm, I mean, right now I'm thinking about, okay, what, am, what are we What am I going to write about? what's going to, you know, carry through, you know, the late, late May, the month of June, early July. And I'm, I'm sort of always had, always have ideas sort of rolling around in my head. You know, I, I don't really, you know, like countdown type of, type of things like, um, I don't know. It has to be, you know, our goal every time, Every, every day we wake up, it's to give our subscribers something that they really can't get elsewhere, something good and um, something they can sink their teeth into. So we don't produce a whole lot, of, whole lot of throwaway things, you know, that it has to be, you know, something substantive. And so um, I think for several years running, I've done a ranking Clemson's top 25 players on the roster. Mm-hmm. And that's always fascinating. Um because it just there's argue there's all sorts of arguments for different players in different places. And the important part to me of of, of when we do it is it's not just I'm not just gonna sit there and say, this is my ranking. I want to talk to people. you know, I want to talk to people with the football team. Hey, what do you think? What do you think about this preliminary ranking? Oh, well, I don't know why you have him there, this this guy there. But the really cool thing to me is is you get wide a wide array of opinions even from people who are with the team about mm-hmm. you know whether one player should be number 3 or number 10 you know and so it just goes to show even the people who are who spend 80 hours a week studying these guys they don't you know they don't know everything. They don't totally know. It's all there's some guesswork involved in it. So anyway, that's a rambling way of saying that <laughs> I don't want to just be in a position where um because I have to write something every day. Um mm-hmm. and 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 I don't I don't want to be in a position of just during the off season, during the summer, like waking up every morning going, All right, what am I going to write today? You know? Because that can be kind of a um that can get kind of old. I mean, the the more sensible thing is to do a really cool series of articles or something like that. Um, yeah, that you can tackle, uh, that I can, you know, I can get a lot done. And then, you know, during the slower times, you know, theoretically I could, you know, spend, you know, in the dead of summer, I could spend, uh, all day Monday working on a week's worth of content. And then I can maybe take some vacation with the family. So anyway, um, I I really like the rhythms of the year, you know, um, you know where you have football season that three or four months and it's intense and it's every single day of, uh, um. I don't even know if I would call it work. Um, it's just you know following cool storylines, really. Um, and then once you get sort of tired of that, then it switches to the off season and so you work on some basketball and things like that. Well, then spring football starts and then spring football's real, it's pretty laid back. You know, everybody's in a pretty good mood. You're a long way from the season. So it's not, it's not that pent up wound tightness that you get during the season. Yeah. And then you have the laid back days of spring and summer after the spring game. And then all, late July comes and that's the part that I don't really um, look forward to a ton um, just because it's August camp is, is a, is a pretty big grind. Um, that that's our peak season really. Um, yeah. And it's a long, it lasts a long time and I probably don't look forward to it because it comes right after vacation. And so, I, you know, I like vacation. <laughs> I like being around the family and, uh you know doing fun things so anyway um i think this will be my 20th season covering Clemson football so there you go it hasn't it hasn't gotten old yet and it's still just there's always unfortunate that there's always something interesting to write about so and i guess the big part of that is the people that i'm writing about uh remain interesting you know dabo and the people he hires uh they um it's just there's there are always different layers to it that you can explore that are you know, where you learn something new or you learn more about a particular person in the case of Nick Eason and whatnot.
0: Yeah, Dabo's never made it boring. Uh, no, that's for sure. Um And I think there was a fascinating series that you and Paul are working on. It's about the most consequential recruits of the Dabo Sweeney era, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. That's been some, yep. some fun to follow. This is also our. Unfortunately, I'm not sponsored by Tiger Illustrated. I just worked for them. But we gotta um we gotta link it down in the description. Definitely wanna to subscribe to it. Especially if you're subscribed to this podcast. You'll have to get the stream of both stuff. Just wanted to throw that in there for anybody watching. Um but for this year, I think there's a lot of anticipation as and we've this has been a consistent thing that we've talked about today. So there's a lot of anticipation riding on what we're gonna see this year. And we talk about the schedule. And just how there's a lot of question marks, and we're one year we're one year away from college football completely changing, as if it didn't change hasn't changed enough in the last three years, is this year in particular. So Clemson's missed the playoffs for two straight years, and they've gone through this DJ Uyunga Uyanga Galay cycle, this Brandon Streeter cycle. It feels like a fresh start, almost like a complete reset, if I'm not mistaken. So for Dabo. Do you think he thinks this year, okay, I have to make it to the playoffs. There's this, we've made the change. We got the new quarterback in Klubnik that everyone seems to believe in. We've got the, the players on defense. We have the talent and it's all there. Do you feel like this year, if they don't miss the playoffs, there's going to be a lot of, not necessarily, and I'm never, I'm not suggesting anything drastic with Dabo, but do you think this year for Clemson as a whole of the program, they need to make the playoffs just to, say hey we made the changes that were necessary and look what happened we're back we're the same Clemson that's been for the last decade almost so not necessarily saying if they don't make the playoffs this year that all hell will break loose but how important is it for this team to be in the postseason come December and January
1: that's a tough one um you know there are so many different aspects to that you know is Dabo sitting there saying, man, we, we better make those dang playoffs or else? <laughs> I just don't think he thinks that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, he had his sermon on signing day in February, basically telling fans, hey, man, ACC championships are still pretty cool and 10-1 seasons are still pretty cool. And I'm the reason, well, not the reason. He wasn't saying that. He basically saying, hey, before I came along. Yeah. Those things were a pipe dream, and don't take that for granted. I should say, and I did say at the time, you know, um, fans are probably right to remind Dabo, like, hey, um, those full stadiums that you see at Death Valley when you walk off the bus into the top of the hill before almost every game, don't take that for granted either, because that's something that doesn't happen in many other places. You know, this is still like people still love Clemson football and still appreciate Clemson football. And those full stadiums are a pretty telling and convincing illustration of that. So I do think maybe as he talks about entitled fans, that it's maybe he should specify like, you know, and I'm just talking about 10% of the, you know, maybe a vocal minority or whatever, but be careful, you know, when you're, broad brushing an entire fan base that uh you know continues to pay for all this stuff Mm -hmm. and by the way your clemson's hitting them up for even more now you know nil and all that other stuff and it's not getting cheaper to keep your parking spot you know over in lot one or wherever it is so you know i'm going on a tangent here but i'm not uh, as far as the question goes but um you know in general i don't think fans incomes have risen proportionally with the cost of 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 following the team they love and and actually being there in person but um yeah i think especially in the last year of the 14 format it would be a hell of a statement for clemson to get back there and to sort of reestablish itself in that upper crust um so to speak before we transition to a format that's much more diluted and of course that contains a lot uh less specialness with that playoff banner that you hang i mean that's just a part of it it's a part that i don't really like um you know i we'll see maybe it'll be a 10 times better system than what we had but i just I love the regular season. I love the stakes of it. I love how it just exposes teams that shouldn't be in that playoff, and including Clemson last year, right? Like, when I saw the hypothetical, like, had had a 12-team playoff happen this past season, Clemson would have been a three-seed, yeah. like, because they're conference champion? Like, come on. Like, I'm, I, I don't know. I have a problem with that, you know? Like, they were exposed <laughs> – by notre dame and south carolina and i like the fact i'm not saying i like the fact that they lost to south carolina i'm saying i like the fact that everybody knew you know everybody who walked out of death valley nope not uh, not a playoff team right like unanimous and that that has happened to a ton of other teams out there over the years and i like that you know Um, you know there are some argument there have been some arguments here and there okay should this this or that team be the fourth team but I just think the previous system did a fantastic job of what I thought the job was and that was identifying the national champion Um, it's a weird topic because the topic of Clemson should they be expected to get back you know should they like if they don't play for, for a national title what's wrong and this and that i think everybody who, who's been who's followed this program for the last two years has a renewed respect and appreciation for all the things that had to come together for them to go on the run that they did from 15 to 20 um yeah you know by 19 and 20 it was like all right yeah well okay cool cool you know, like. Whereas in '15, I'll never forget. Uh, after that Oklahoma game in the Orange Bowl, I I was, I wasn't on the field. I, I I decided to position myself in the corridor right outside their locker room, and so I could see everybody who turned the corner, coming back into the to the locker room after they the, the celebration. And the jubilation that you saw, not just from the coaches and players, but from the families of the of the coaches, other administrators, it was like it's the first time, you know. It's like, oh my god, it's like we're going to the national freaking championship, and just that that euphoria is something that you just man, just what. It was surreal. I, I yeah um... yeah. I'll just I'll just never forget seeing that on, yeah. on the faces of the people, not just the people that I cover, but the people on the periphery and the fans too. Yeah. And I remember at that time it was like for Alabama fans it was like oh, okay yeah another playoff you know and it was kind of ho hum but for Clemson it's like of course I'm going to Phoenix you know yeah. I might never get to another opportunity you know that's why so many people went out there. Well, then they go again and again and again, and not that people weren't really celebrating and marinating in the success, but it was more like, oh, yeah, this is, this, we should do this every year. Well, you know, all the stars that aligned and all the pieces that had to come together for that to happen, that doesn't happen a lot, you know. Um, it's not just Deshaun and Trevor. You know, it's also Hunter Renfro and and a number of other pieces um, that weren't five stars that guys who developed into the type of players who were integral to that. And so I think that has to be considered, you know, um, particularly in light of how much things have changed over the last two years with the landscape, um, you know, who the competition, who the other big dogs are, you know, like Mm -hmm. in 19 LSU came out of nowhere and it was like, okay, that, that's just like a flash in the pan, you know, because that that offense, an otherworldly offense came together at the right time. Okay, well, Clemson can still be, uh, you know, reign supreme in, in 2020 in, in Trevor's last year. Well, you know, then here comes Ohio State and, oh, Alabama didn't fall off the map after missing the playoff in 19. You know, they won it all with another otherworldly group of offensive yeah. players. Heisman trophy year. Winner. yeah and then here comes georgia you know like clemson was fortunate that georgia was down as long as they were in the previous decade clemson is immensely fortunate I'm not saying they owe their success to that but they weren't going to stay down for for long and so now they're a monster you know um and yeah. it's just uh and oh, and then oh, by the way, you know, in the, your own conference, in your own state, you know, South Carolina, you know, was down a good portion of that time. Well, they it looks like they're on the upswing now. Florida State certainly wasn't going to stay down forever, and now Mike Norvell has that thing, you know, humming. So it getting back to your question, like, how do we how do we define expectations relative to the playoff? I really don't know. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know how to. I don't know how to boil it down to an essence. You know, I, I just really don't. I think there. There are lots of unknowns. You know, it could. You know, I do think that. You know, K. Klubnick, five-star quarterback. Um, you know, he's in that stature that that rare stature of quarterback. I think, you know, after the DJ um, disappointment, after he just sort of did, couldn't hold up mentally uh, for that, I think it's reasonable to say, okay, by the end of this year, Cade clubnik sh- should have shown us, yeah, this is that, this is that five star kind of uh, sort of. Um, transcendent presence at quarterback that we thought he was even though he doesn't have to necessarily be Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence because that's a really tall order but then again you look over at Alabama right now man they're starting they're having a bit of a reckoning with just how important Bryce Young was and who's going to replace him we don't know uh, Georgia even though their defense has been just otherworldly the last two years i think stetson bennett was an in, incredibly important and vital to, to what they uh achieved uh not just with with his arm but with his legs as well carson beck not that dual threat type um so we'll see there um i don't so i don't know man I, it's hard yeah. to i mean this time in 2021 i would not have told you that dj was gonna be a shell of what he was those two games against Boston college and Notre Dame in 2020, you know, Um, it's just hard to, yeah, A big part of the appeal of college football, I think is it's unpredictability. And so um, I do think it's an important time for Clemson football for sure. um, uh, Because they're in this, again, going back to that perception, you know, they're not unanimously top five right now. They are with some, they're sort of, maybe not top 10. And so that's a a different place to be. And so, um, but they'll have, they'll have plenty of opportunity um, against some of those teams that are supposedly ahead of them uh, to make their statement about, about that.
0: Yeah. And just to quickly jump back to what you said in the beginning about your experience in Miami is when Clemson made the national championship for the first time, I was in the eighth grade and we had a Clemson day at uh, oh, yeah. at my school because the, our, our head of middle school was, she was a Clemson alum. And so she organized this whole thing. Like we got to wear Clemson jerseys and stuff. And it was just a great time. Even the South Carolina fans were excited. Some of them were just, oh, wow, like this is a cool thing. Like Clemson, a team in South Carolina is going to play in the national championship And as time progressed, I can attest to this myself after the Tampa one, it was kind of the expectation is, man, if we don't make it to the playoffs this year, it's almost a doomed season in a sense. And even going to college, uh, a lot of, you there was a running joke within my freshman classes. How many of you are here because of the football team Um, type of thing? (laughs) Because of the amount of people that applied. So when you get to the, the i think the, the last two seasons have been eye opening for a lot of people because of like you said there's this perspective of all that's happened and all it took to get there and i don't think you realize it in the moment of the perfect storm that was created like you said you got you got you almost had everything chalked up, checked off you had the 50-50 wide receiver you had the third down reliable guy you had a running back Goldman etn who could get between the tackles get those quick short yardage situations you had the defense you had venables you had everything come together and it it's like you said there are teams that'll pop up like this like LSU and then quickly back into the shadows of Georgia who's finally figured it out so yeah
1: I think that and yeah go sorry ahead sorry to interrupt go ahead and as as great as those teams were yeah they still had brushes with disaster mm-hmm. you know 16 probably should have lost to NC state you know yeah. lost the pit right uh 18 syracuse you know i mean i'll never forget the feeling at <laughs> halftime of the 18 game against syracuse it felt like the world was falling apart it's like eric dungy and this syracuse team is going to win this game and maybe win handily you know yeah wouldn't so, trevor go down with even concussion
0: the- in that game
1: What's that? When did Trevor go down that was in strong. that game? Was it, was, that- it was early. It was, it was in the first quarter. It was a shoulder injury. I Because I remember um,
0: I wasn't at that game. I was originally supposed to go, but I was doing something for – gosh, I don't even remember. But I remember I got the a text on my phone saying, Trevor's down. And I was like, what do you mean? And I didn't have phone service after that, so I had to wait. And someone afterwards said – called me after I got, like, service. They said, Grayson, Chase Bryce just won the football game. I said, who? Yeah. <laughs>
1: It was crazy to me. That, uh, yeah, so even, you know, even the best teams, man, they have mental, difficult mental hurdles, you know, to I guess I should say retaining that edge, you know. Um, I think the last two years there's been a, certainly a reminder, hey, man, if, if you don't have that just, hard edge all the time, you know, that, that drive and motivation, and, you know, you can, you can slip, but even like that's, even the 16 team, people forget they were, ex- they came into 16 expected to to be just tremendous, you mm-hmm. know, after giving Alabama all they could handle uh, in, in Arizona, but they, but having all that love, you know, and that offense here and all those great things about it, man, they were scuffling early that season. You know, Troy was, you know, taking pick sixes back, you know, from Deshaun. Um, you know, they, they were – it wasn't like this well-oiled machine. They had trouble at Auburn in their their first game. And so the challenge of that – and Dabo, I think he even, he even brought that up this past season. He says, man, he says, that team just wanted to hit the fast-forward button to, yeah. to Tampa, you know, and, and it was just hard to keep them – to keep that fire burning because they knew they were better than everybody else. And so it was just like going through the motions. Um, And so I have eternal respect for the, you know, those great coaches and great programs, you know, like Nick Saban, that's why he's the, probably the goat is because man, he, he has just found ways. The hardest thing to do is to overcome human nature and to stay driven in the immediate aftermath of, of, of high achievement. I don't care whether you're a football team, whether you're Grayson Man who just, you know, wrote a great article yesterday or who aced a, an exam, you wake up the next day feeling oh, pretty good, you know, <laughs> like, you know, and, and so it's just sort of a, sort of a law of humanity, I guess, is you're, yeah. just, you, you're, you're, you let your guard down a little bit. Um, when, when you're, when you're, you know, when, when you, when you're looking back at, at, at doing something well. So, um, so in that respect, I do think there, I mean, Dabo has definitely sent the message to everybody in that building for the last few months. Like uh, I'm on the warpath, path, you know, basically. <laughs> and like um, what happened to Brandon Streeter could happen to some of you other guys. If this doesn't, yeah, you know, if we don't get back to the desired way of doing things. Now, does that mean Dabo is saying, if we don't make the playoff, you know, you guys are gone. I don't think so. I think, I don't know if he. I don't think he defines success that way, but I do know that in the in uh, in the past he would always say, you know, we don't we don't list the national championship as one of our goals. But in recent months, he has brought up national championship several times and saying we can win a national championship with this roster. These freshmen want to win a national championship. That's been interesting to me um, that he has used that verbiage because in the past he has not really included that much in in terms of their you know what their what their goals are and things like that
0: yeah and that's interesting that you bring that up because he's always been i remember the at the end of the south carolina game last year um one of the first things he said is like we're not entitled to win every game and it's kind of flipped it's been flipped of we're not entitled to win every game to Like you said, he's on the war path. So it should be interesting to see how... And they're starting with CSU or Charleston Southern being the season. So it's not going to be an immediate like, oh man, if they beat Charleston Southern by 60, no one's going to go, oh oh my gosh, like national championship, book it. Because that's kind of the expected outcome. But that Florida State game, like we've said, will be that. Because it's... Well, Duke will be an interesting one. They they open up with Duke. That's my mistake. But that'll be a fun one too, just to be in Durham for it. But... It should be a really interesting and fascinating season. That it feels like, like I said earlier, it feels fresh. It feels like a fresh start almost, even though we're not changing head coaches. But something just feels different, and that's what I took away from the spring when I when I was there helping you out with the uh the coverage was something feels different. Everyone feels very locked in, like you said, the war path. Like it feels just different. I don't know. It may be just a uh, me looking at it differently.
1: Yeah. I, having been around for many seasons, I have, um, I have probably placed less stock in trying to read the emotions and demeanor of a team, uh, just because, some, because of how many times probably I've been wrong, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I think um, – I, I do believe that the two years that DJ was here on the offensive side of the ball, leadership lacking. Um, they just didn't have that, especially in 21, you know, just didn't have those sort of take-charge types, you know, particularly during um, – you know, off season summer workouts and such. You know, I remember the summer of twenty-one. I remember knowing something might this might not be good when I heard, yeah, uh attendance for on the defensive side for workouts is like a hundred percent amazing. Offensive side, not nearly as much, you know, mm. and it's just like not that expectation and demand. Um and it really sort of carried over to practices when i remember in august of 21 they were just so quiet when they were out there and i remember matt bachhorst kind of flipping out when they were going through a personnel change and some guys didn't get the memo and there just wasn't much talking and he's like you know trying to light a fire under everybody so i say that to say when you're out there now garrett riley man he is a presence yeah um you know and his voice is it it stands out uh and so there's no doubt that he's the he's the guy you know and i'll be fascinated to see you know just how involved Dabo is moving forward like does he still have the play sheet out there is he still you know talking behind it every play i'm not saying he was calling all the plays or anything like that yeah. i'm just saying he was involved in the offense you know significantly before and so does this mean he sort of steps away i, I tend to think it does um so we'll see but it's it, it's evident so far that that garrett riley's um you know he he is more of a presence out there than his two predecessors streeter and tony elliott who were, you know just more Cerebral, um, more deferential, I guess, to the head coach, and not that that was the wrong approach, uh, but I think in terms of solidarity and 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 uh, the newness that you talked about and getting people energized and and galvanized, I think that's probably pretty important at this point in time. You know, to have yeah. that type of presence.
0: It's interesting you bring up the and just a couple extra tidbits before we uh, wrap up this. It's interesting that you bring up the Georgia game and the two opposing sides of the offense. One feels disconnected and one feels completely locked in because going into that game, there was a lot of excitement for because I was at Charlotte for the game. And on one camp, you're thinking, okay, we got two games of DJ. We've seen it. We uh, know what to expect. And I think someone told me, man, what if the first play of the game, he just chucks it down the field like he did to Powell and and Notre Dame. And that was not the case. That was a one side of the ball was absolutely locked in and kept Georgia in check for the entire game. And one side of the ball, it was a miracle when they got a first down, it felt like. And that's also, I think in part because that was Georgia's national championship defense, the team that went on to go on to win the whole thing. And they were in it. I, I remember they were driving down the field, having a chance to tie it up and, you're a maybe a, a one throw away with the pick six from potentially going to overtime tied at three, and have Potter at that at that distance because they would have started the uh, I think the twenty twenty five yard line so they would have at least had three on the board you'd think so yeah it's interesting you bring that up that's the kind of insight we bring you on for here so that was actually <laughs> I did not know that that's interesting wow but um like which you said bar, about which
1: part which are you talking about. You're talking about the the offense just being real quiet and all that.
0: Yeah, and the attendance thing because I remember it was someone gave me a comment. They said, they just don't look gelled out there. And that was something that they said at halftime. It just looked kind of incomplete, almost like they were starting. They didn't have their head start or what's the right word? It just looked like they were like a step behind from what they probably should have been to start the year.
1: Not to spend a lot of time rehashing that game, but you know, just thinking back, you had Matt Bachhorst had transitioned to center just like two and a half weeks before. <laughs> like, and he's having to go against Jordan Davis, you know, so it's like, come on. Then you had Justin Ross who would come back, um, but who had, uh, he had gone through COVID uh, early in fall camp. Then he hurt his foot also during camp, I believe. So there was reason for like concern there. Even though that wasn't as you, know, a lot of times you, the, the stories are bigger and more. There's more clarity looking back than in the moment. Um, yeah, you know, you DJ who who uh, didn't have a whole lot of confidence. Um, it was it was just the perfect storm because I think you know that Georgia defense was just, so good. You know, <laughs> it's just frothing um, to 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 make a statement, and I do think that. Had there been no Stetson Bennett that year, they don't. I don't think they win a championship with JT Daniels. um, I agree, just because JT JT couldn't move, and Stetson was a point guard almost in some big moments that year, using his legs and just making great plays. Um, But yeah, it just it was the first sign that oh boy, this Clemson offense we're used to seeing um, ring up. A bunch of points something's up something's wrong and so it even extended into last year even though they made some some significant improvements early um it ended up being sort of the same old same old but um yeah the hope of course is that a new system and a, a, a new presence at a full-time starting quarterback is gonna is gonna lead to to uh maybe a somewhat of a return to to what we're used to seeing
0: yeah and uh just final thing you got a head coach pretty much in offense with uh, Garrett Riley is what it feels like to me is that depending on the success of the next couple of years you could see Riley taking a power five job at some point or who knows I don't want to speculate or put
1: yeah I think so. speak
0: for him but I I feel like this is you're gonna get a if this is not a shot at TCU or by any by any stretch just because they went to the national championship but Two years of success, high-powered success at Clemson versus if he had stayed at TCU, I feel like the job opportunities might be better. But you can probably, be, maybe I'm stepping too. Maybe that's too much of a step. And this is I don't, I don't know. It just feels like if he if he does what we think he's going to do here at Clemson, and they make the postseason twice, for example, um, one with the four format, one with the twelve, and maybe they get to a national championship. Who knows? there's going to be a power five team out there that is going to see that and go, man, you need Garrett Riley to take the reins here at this program. Um, and not saying that couldn't have happened at TCU, but I just felt like Clemson, there was an opportunity there for Garrett to really advance within his career, just as close as first Clemson's at.
1: Yeah. And you think about, you talk about expectations here. Think about the expectations for Riley this season, had he stayed at TCU without Max Duggan, without, uh, Quentin Johnson, and without a number of key pieces, so if they sort of regress back to seven and five or whatever, and the offense isn't great shakes, then you know, it's, there you go. Uh, uh, anyway, so I think that probably played into it, and also, um, you know, Dabo has had a pretty good record of, of of sending of producing some head coaches, or at least giving them the opportunities. Um, yeah to take that that next step. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think with Brent Venables, you know, it took the perfect opportunity for him to leave. I mean, he turned down the Auburn job the year before, um, with Riley, it feels more like not that he has the itch to get out of here, but it feels more like this is that sort of, closing flourish on his resume that that line like okay to to then take the take the jump but hell of a coup for Dabo to be able to get him um, yeah. because a lot of folks out there would not have probably would not have believed that um so it still shows it still shows sort of the power of Clemson's uh reputation out there is still strong um and Dabo as a person as a leader is still highly respected um, despite you know a lot of the some of the supposed controversies that you see from the peanut gallery on twitter which you know twitter is a lovely place everything he says yeah
0: always a lovely place but yeah so i think that with if you got any final thoughts there you want to add before we wrap up today this is a fantastic conversation we pretty much not only did we get your NBA insight, but we got some great tidbits about Clemson football today. So you have any final thoughts before we wrap up?
1: No, man, this is such a fun conversation that I, I might have to turn this into my podcast for this, this week on the website if that's okay, if I can get your permission.
0: <laughs> oh no, that's fine. The Clemson Dubcast. We gotta I, I do have to plug that. I gotta put that in the description for today. Oh, you that's with, okay. Uh,
1: yeah, no, you don't have to do that. But uh oh, yeah, I'm gonna gotta advertise. The- I'm gonna have to convert this into an audio file and then uh, <laughs> and then share it with my subscribers. If that's okay with you? Oh
0: yeah, for sure, for sure. All um, right. This so this was is... uh,
1: Yeah, you're doing a great job, man. You, uh, I've told you, but your your uh, your your in initiative and wherewithal and industriousness in you know producing your own podcast and all that. Um, I think that's going to be um it's going to be an asset for you post-graduation and um really enhancing your portfolio but but i'm not in any, in any rush for you to graduate i'm, I'm ready, to, <laughs> ready for, to for you to, to help us out some more because you do a good job
0: well i appreciate that that uh, might have to talk to the academic advisors on that one but i don't think they'd be Oh, uh, well, actually, they probably wouldn't mind me paying an extra year of tuition, but we'll see. But guys, that'll do it for episode 120, 120 episodes of the Band with a Plan podcast. Guys, we're trying to get to 20,000 listeners across all of our platforms this summer. That's the goal. Um, And, you know, based off of the last time we did the Larry Williams episode, we may reach it. Who knows? But uh, Larry, thanks again for joining us. I'll tag Tiger in the description as well as the Clemson Dubcast got a Make sure we get those advertisements out there. Check out Larry on Twitter, too. Always got some great insight. Guys, thank you so much again. Thanks for all the support in the comments. And as always, guys, have a great day and take care.